Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. So your whole life is based on traveling to every country in the world. How do you explain your life to people without sounding like a dick? You should get into very, 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 very high debt, and then you go to Turkmenistan and you never come back. Swipe up to shop our dark web links, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. And I'm Melanie. Today we've got a guest that has been to every single country in the world, not once, but twice. Gunnar Garfors is a record-setting traveler who has set multiple Guinness World Records, including being the first person to travel to every country in the world twice. And yes, that includes North Korea. But first, we're going to get into hot takes. And actually, before that, I want to give a shout out to my co-host, Tim, who is celebrating the birth of his beautiful baby girl, Olivia. Uh, who's born this past weekend. So shout out to Tim, shout out to his wife, Alicia, and welcome to the world, Olivia. Woo! We actually, I think we might have Olivia on as our next guest. What do you think about that, Melanie? Do you think... uh... Oh my gosh, (laughs) Olivia would be fantastic. So like, what's it like having Tim as your father, Olivia? Mm, Just, you're just gonna spit up. Okay, interesting, good. Good take on that. I think, I don't know, at least has like a little third guest host. See what she she has to add. Cool, great. But we'll, we'll figure that out figure that out later so we're gonna get into hot takes and uh melanie uh, let me uh let me ask you a few questions first how's that sound let's do it let's go okay first one today was voted by the followers of matador network on instagram you guys voted we had three options for a hot take today and you guys voted for the alec baldwin shooting it's not a sentence i ever thought i'd say so alec baldwin as everyone knows, shot someone on the set of a movie called Rust. And obviously an accident. It was a prop gun that had live rounds in it. And he shot a cinematographer and wounded the director. What do we think the repercussion should be? The Some people are saying it's his fault. Some people are saying it's the armorer's fault. What, ha- what, what What's the fallout here? Like, what happens? Obviously a tragedy, but what's the uh, what are the consequences? Absolutely. It is 100% a tragedy. And one of the things that I hope is that Hollywood takes many learning lessons from this. Um, dummy rounds are really common on sets and they are meant to look like real bullets but contain no gunpowder so they can be used a lot in close-up shots for effect and all that stuff. But I feel like Alec Baldwin cannot be held responsible. He is a performer. It is not his job to check the equipment beforehand. There's someone specifically hired, specifically the armor, to make sure that dummy rounds are used or, you know, that everything is ready to go. They are specifically hired for that purpose. So I feel like that person should 100% be held responsible. Yeah, so her name is Hannah Reed Gutierrez. She's the daughter of a longtime Hollywood armor. Uh, so there are might have been some nepotism going on mm. there. It was only her second film that she's worked on, and she said she was, quote, nervous to work on the first film. Um, so everyone's making a big deal about that. Like, what? I don't know what the exact charge is here for her criminally, but I think it's negligence. She's, she's in some basically way. an accessory to murder. Negligent, I guess. Negligence sounds a little less harsh. But what's your <laughs> what's your next move here? What can she do? Who's going to hire her? Honestly, I feel like this is one thing 
I feel like her career is over. So how, so what's your, yeah, like what's your, on your resume? It's like, oh, so like why, why you leave your last job? Shot someone or facilitated someone the shooting of a cinematographer? Like, oh, cool. We'll let you know. We'll keep your resume on file. Oh my God. Actually, you know what I think she would do pretty successfully? Magician's assistant. Oh no. Because when Uh, you're watching Matt, when you're watching magic, hear me out on this. You've got to believe that something could actually go wrong, right? That the assistant really tied those knots tight. They really locked that lock or even made a mistake and tied the knots too tight or locked the lock so that it couldn't be broken by the magician. With this girl, I actually believe that she could fuck up and kill someone despite her best intentions. Like I would watch a magic show where she's the assistant for sure. Oh man, it's such a shame because I also, you know, I, you and I, despite being really silly, we, we do feel a lot of compassion for the situation. And it is something that like so many people have been affected by this. I mean, the family of the cinematographer, um, Alec Baldwin, his family, the director, every, everyone on that set has been affected. Um, and of course we want the best for them, but I mean, I feel like the armorer is going to be held responsible. And ultimately I think her career is, it's going to have this shadow on it for a very long time. Which is as it should be and also unfortunate. So, I mean, yeah. Hannah Reed Gutierrez, our, our new GoFundMe, check it out. Make Han- makehannahmagic.com. Oh. Let's raise awareness here. Get this girl a job as a magician's oh, no. assistant. We'll, uh, we'll get that going. My hope is that something good comes out of it though. I know it's, it, this, this tragedy is really having Hollywood ultimately take a look at the way that, you know, weapons are brought in on set because it's been made pretty clear over the past, I would say, decade that live rounds are not necessary on a set. So hopefully this means that other people will be safer in the future. Exactly. Enough about that. Moving on to our next hot take, Melanie, a little bit a lighter note. Are red receipts for psychos? No, I have feelings about this. For anyone who doesn't know, red receipts are when you're, you know, you text someone and they open your text and it shows you that the texter exactly what time they've opened your text. So if they don't respond to you, you know they've read it at this time. So thoughts on that? Okay, I, I love them personally because, for example, my brother, my older brother Wes, has red receipts on, and it, he's not the best about getting back to me. Love him. Sometimes he's an artist. He's super talented. And he gets, he's a little slow on the come up sometimes. So at least I know if he, if he's not going to respond, at least I know he has seen it. So that helps me. But if you're, if I'm like asking you important questions, like, all right, what time are we meeting to go pick up this adopted puppy? And you just keep reading, reading them and not responding. That's going to make me really pissed off. So if you're, if you're that type of person who just reads them and is never intending on responding, you are a psychopath and it is not acceptable. Well, so I was texting with our producer, Alex, this week, and I noticed that she has red receipts on. And it occurred to me then that only maybe 5% of my friends turn these on and the rest hide them. So I asked her why she does this. And she said it's so guys know that she's ignoring them intentionally and they, <gasps> won't, they won't continue to text, thinking maybe she like, didn't get the message or something. Good job, Alex. So oh. basically, it's a tool for more effective and deliberate ghosting. And then we started talking about ghosting and not responding to texts at all Mm -hmm. and how red receipts are just an effective way of really driving that point home. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on not responding to a text that might be unwanted? So say a guy texts you, asks you out for a drink, you've exchanged numbers in good faith, but you're just not into it anymore. 
what's your thought? Do you say no? Do you come up with an excuse? Do you keep making excuses till he gets the point? Or do you straight up ghost like she does? Ooh. Not to throw Alex under the bus here. Because this is, <laughs> not to say this is what she does all the time. Alex but is this amazing. Is her. So, yes, go on. One Number one, communication is always the best tool. It is free. It is easy. And if you communicate, then everything has been left on the table and you don't have to wonder. As someone who has been ghosted, it does not feel good. You just continuously do have these like little what if scenarios in your mind and you never get closure. So if Evan and I are dating or we're starting to date and son, and you know, I think it's a, I think the dates are going well, but then suddenly you don't respond and you're like, I don't hear from you. That is, first of all, it's a, it's a show of who you are. I think ghosting is a real show of someone's character. And also I think it's just disrespectful. If you were just to be like, Melanie, I think you're awesome. You've got great hair. So funny, so charming, but we're just not meant for each other. That, I love that. Because then I know exactly where you stand. I'm not going to continuously text you. Not that I would like go crazy with texting anyway. But if you say that, then I know where you stand. And then you can go guilt-free and go on Hinge or Bumble. You can go date. You can do whatever you want. And you haven't like let anyone on. Ghosting, nope, no, no. My view on this is basically ghosting another person's text is serves you not the other person despite what a lot of people try to say they try to say that it's it's a kinder letdown than being direct and honest and it's just not it's if you have someone harassing you texting you completely out of nowhere someone you had a terrible date with who you've broken it off with and they just don't get the message fine don't respond ghost leave those red receipts on so they get the picture i don't care but if you have any kind of respect for the other person at all expect to see them again on just like a social friendship basis and unless they really did something egregiously wrong to you you have to respond to the text you have to people i agree they have this misconception that ghosting is just easier for the person being let down than straight up telling someone you're not interested and that's honestly just an excuse absolutely like everybody knows no responses are worse than even the rudest direct rejections because that's basically like saying you're so insignificant that you're not worth three seconds of my time to send a brief sentence via yes. text. Like sitting next to someone and asking them a question and they just pretend you're not there. Ooh. Like you're invisible. Like I really think there's no worse feeling than being ignored or made to feel irrelevant. And that's exactly what ghosting is. Well, people do it because it's easier than telling the truth. They're not trying to spare the feelings of the person being rejected. They're trying to make it less awkward on themselves by avoiding direct honesty. Okay, Evan. I 100% agree. Since we're talking about honesty, my next hot take, we all know about the Brian Lantry case. That's been happening. We're not going to talk about that specifically. There's been a lot of talk, though, about his family being involved or being involved in a cover-up. Whether or not that's true, I have to ask Evan, if your brother came to you and was like, Evan, I've done something very wrong, would you help them hide and escape like would you book them a flight to mexico and like travel with them and be like we're on the run brother or would you turn them in i would turn them in hands down that's a, that's a good question that's tough i have to, i like, might have to actually think about it. i'm gonna answer it but i might <laughs> regret my answer because i have put no thought into this i think my impulse would be to help them honestly it, it kind of <gasps> depends well it depends on what they've done if they've mm-hmm murder somebody in a public way that everyone knows and i know on some level 
they're guilty for, I think I would have a harder time defending them. Like getting, I, I would have a hard time incriminating myself in that. But if I had any doubt whatsoever, if I thought they were being wrongly accused, even if I knew there was a nationwide manhunt going on for them, yeah, I think my if there was any doubt in my mind that they were innocent, maybe I think my inclination would be to help. Yeah, I love that. I think I mean I I 100% agree. If it's something like we're gonna go into this, like if it was something like domestic abuse and something that you know it was in self-defense. First of all, I'd be like, all right, let's go to the police and let's tell them what happened. Let's, you know, let's not OJ Simpson this and go on the run and then have people like following me in a helicopter. Like, let's not do that. Like, let's, I'm a, I'm a believer that like truth will prevail. Like all the things will come forward. So if that's the case of something self-defense, I'm like, okay, I wouldn't necessarily help you run, but I would try to help alleviate the situation. If yeah. I'm okay. Like, you know what? Now that you say this, I'm completely revising my answer. So running in this in 21st century is pointless. Like they're going to find you or you're going to end up dead. Like case in point, Brian Laundry. Like there's no, like me helping my brother run away from the cops isn't helping anybody. Like they're going to find him and he's, it's going to make matters worse for him. That was stupid. My first take, I knew I knew I was going to do that. My first take, dumb, disregard, <laughs> awful, awful take. I mean, I do understand where, like, family comes in. Like, you know, if you truly believe that they are innocent, but, they, but you know that the evidence, you know, there's circumstantial evidence. Like, you think that they might be in trouble. I understand that desire to help. Um, however, if I... I mean, I'm one of four kids, and if I knew one of them was guilty as hell, and they were like, Melanie, like, come hide me. You know what I would do? I would be like, so I'm going to talk to my older brother. I'd be like, Wes, I believe you. I get it. Let, come back. Come over to my place, and we'll help fix this. And then I would go and call the police and be like, hey, y'all, my brother's coming over. I'm going to record him. I would trap him so fast because I'm like, if you did something horrific for no reason, you're going to be brought down. You're not, you're not smearing my good name, sir. Yeah. It, it, there's no, there's no point. Like hiding is pointless these days. Like this isn't 1939 in Poland when like the Nazis are looking for Jews that are hiding out and a, a nice Christian family can hide a Jewish family in their cellar. And if the Nazis just don't happen to check the cellar, it's like, well, successfully hidden. Like mm -hmm. that's not, how it works like they will sweep your entire house they'll use dogs yep. they'll use like all kinds of technology they will find you there is no hiding is pointless so i think it's if this if we're talking about like a hundred years ago and i thought that hiding someone would actually protect them from going to jail then yeah maybe i would do it all right evan we talked a lot about some not so good people and now it's time to talk about one of the greatest people of all time dare i say it the people's champion also known as The Rock. Okay, so Evan, would you vote for someone like The Rock or maybe even The Rock for president? <laughs> I would. That's I 100% would vote for The Rock. That's a good question. I, I I mean, okay, so I hate to say it, but uh -oh. so four years ago, I would have never considered voting for a celebrity for president ever. Mm -hmm. um, and it would still take a lot of convincing for me to do so. But I think that now we live, unfortunately, in this reality of celebrity politicians where name recognition and charisma and uh, relatability matter more than qualifications and having seen what that kind of environment can produce in donald trump and that it's actually possible i think it's kind of forced us to contend with this idea that 
okay, given that this is a possibility and this is a very real reality for us, what are the lesser of two evils? Do you know? Do you want a Donald Trump in there? Do you want a Tucker Carlson or a Steve Bannon? Do you want a one of these celebrity kind of populist people? Or if you're going to go for go the celebrity route, do you want someone who is maybe a little more moderate? And The Rock is a, a Democrat, right? Mm-hmm. But he's yeah, a little bit more mod- more of a moderate Democrat who isn't pandering to any extreme wing, left or right. He is very charismatic. He's very, uh, he seems to have, uh, be intelligent. He is not as polarizing. In terms of uh, our, our position on the world stage, how international leaders view us, obviously there'll be a lot of jokes about having the Rock as president. I understand that. But someone like him, <laughs> if the alternative is a Donald Trump, I think that it's not the worst option, Melanie, to be honest with you. I agree 100%. I mean, would I necessarily vote for The Rock? I don't know. But, you know, I feel like one of the things not, I feel like we're not really leaning into politics here. We're really leaning into like, what kind of person would we want to follow, uh, you know, like to be the leader of our nation. And I feel like one of the things I think is really important for me is that this person is likable and trustworthy. And in terms of celebrities, I feel like someone like The Rock you know, he's like the number one most followed person on Instagram or maybe number two behind Kylie Jenner, somewhere around there. I'm like, people have watched his journey from being like Rocky Mavia back in the WWF days before it came, became WWE. And I'm like, I, I can stand behind this man. I know what he's been, I know what he's done. I've seen his career grow. I see who he is. And I, I also think he looks great in spandex. So someone like The Rock, I could 100% see myself voting for him as president. You don't think Joe Biden looks good in spandex? Evan, if you have to ask, you'll never know. <laughs> oh no! Now I'm imagining him. I mean, when he was younger, he was a hot Somali. I I was I'm gonna say imagining. when his younger years, Ooh. Joe Biden is a handsome man. Let me just Ooh. you don't. I mean, you don't get a, you don't get a beautiful lady like Joe Biden by being ugly. I'll oh. tell you that. <laughs> I mean, Jill Jill is a stunner, and Joe Biden woo in the spandex before. I'm not imagining him in spandex now. Let's be clear. Let's not get crazy. Okay. To sum up. I think that in an ideal world, we wouldn't be talking about a, a Donald Trump as president, a rock as president, but this is the reality we live in. And given the alternatives, given what might actually be possible in 2024 and who we might end up with, you know what? There's worse candidates. There's worse candidates. Someone who generates excitement, someone who is, you know, Melanie, the people's champ, like you said. It's not, it's not the most electrifying man in all sports entertainment. That eyebrow, I knew I could smell what The Rock was cooking. And like, this could be his campaign slogan. We've got this. Yeah, so we can smell what The Rock's cooking. And we're going to cook up an interview for you guys right now as we head into it. So stay tuned. We'll see you on the other side. Gunnar Garfors has set multiple travel records, including being the first person to visit every country twice, visit five countries in one day, 19 countries in 24 hours, and circumnavigating the globe via scheduled aircraft in just 56 hours. Right off the bat, my first question is, how much do you hate people who are really, really slow to get off the plane? Oh, that's a good question. No, I'm, um, I, I easily get annoyed by, by uh, those um, individual, let's, uh, individuals, let's say. So, yeah, I, I try to get a seat in the very front of the plane or in the very back in case they have um, 
in case they have a ladder on out from the back of the aircraft but yeah i mean you're in a hurry uh, you're in a rush <laughs> like these other people they're just they can take well, all not, day, not usually know. no uh to be fair well you listed a, a range of uh, world records and i mean in, in love for war and world record world records everything is allowed i think uh, i am not really into traveling that way uh, you can say those world records are not they, they have nothing to do with travel but with uh, logistics so um you know that's not how i usually travel then again so you know the adrenaline kick from from beating a world record is is just insane so i love it <laughs> so why as far as the going to every country twice thing first person to do that why why travel to every country twice you know isn't once enough no well perhaps but then again i mean isn't once enough isn't going once to your favorite restaurant enough isn't you know um skiing you know or whichever hobby you have you know isn't once enough um if you look at it really um no country in the world deserves to be visited only once there every time you you revisit a place you, you discover something new you meet someone new you try some different kinds of food or whatever you know but then you you will discover something you haven't seen before or um, tasted before or explored before so no once is not enough <laughs> and have you noticed a difference between visiting cities and visiting smaller towns when you go back for a second visit do you try to have a completely different experience because i've kind of when i first started traveling i was a big like yeah you gotta you go to france you gotta go to paris you go to uh spain you gotta go to barcelona but now i kind of feel like the more you get a more authentic experience when you go to a smaller town or a countryside area that isn't as saturated with uh, international influences is that the kind of thing that you would try to do get like a multi-faceted experience on your second visit and change up that that cultural flavor yes for sure and i i always try to travel to new places um, and i do agree with you if you compare every city in the world or every at least every big city or every capital city you sort of have something of the same there you have uh, embassies you have expats you have well, we have a fair number of, of decent restaurants and all these things um, so by going to different places you know especially towns and villages and, and, and remote regions rural parts of the country or any country uh, you, you, to you get a very different kind of flavor uh, the downside can be uh, a lack of, of common language um, English is, is usually spoken uh, much much more in, in cities um, but um, I would definitely say that because you, you get more of a natural feel of the country. More, you, you get something more real by going to um, rural areas. I want to hear a little bit about your experience in North Korea because I think that's one of the least accessible places, at least to the minds of most Americans. And then once you get there, it's kind of a, a crazy experience as far as how free you are to travel and explore and the kind of curated experience they give you. So can you talk a little bit about North Korea? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, well, North Korea is, is one of the three countries in the world where you where you need a guide to travel as a tourist. As you, as you say, it's very, uh, very much a curated experience. But in North Korea, you don't only need one uh, guide, tourist guide, you need two. Because even North Korean guides need to go, um, but even North Korean guides, they need to go to the bathroom once in a while. And that's when they open up. When the other one is in the bathroom, then they start asking questions about what, what is it really like um, outside North Korea. Because the reason there are two guides is not that they need two people to look after you as one individual or, or you as a group of individuals. 
is is because they need to look after each other because the regime there they don't really they really don't want uh, even their own guides to to get a real look at what's going on outside i mean this is the only country in the world where we where you don't have the internet i mean the regime has the internet and the military but normal people are, have no access they do on the other hand have a huge intranet <laughs> where you have thousands and thousands of governmental workers they curate even this intranet uh, complete with dating services and, and so-called news and so-called sport and, and so on it's all propaganda and, and you know this this is something they're trying to uphold by um uh, but, but you know, showing you a created version of the world, you are being used as part of the propaganda in while well, you know by being there in their country. It's it, and they might tell people that see you and meet you strange stories, you know, that yeah, oh, this is a very famous person or this is a very important person from this and this country. And they're coming here to see um, how good North Korea is and uh, they're very impressed blah 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 you know you're, you're a big piece in in a huge um propaganda play if you like going there at the same time it's interesting you can say so so why do you go at all and i think um at least we well we get a glimpse of north korea we don't get to see everything we typically get to see the, the big cities and pyongyang the capital which is where um people of a higher rank uh, people that have um uh, you know, they've managed to, to go um, far in life. They've done the right things. They're supporting, supporting, uh, supporting the military or, or the Kim dynasty. Um, you know, you, you're not you're not allowed to see uh, poor villages, poor farms where there's no farming equipment. For instance, I've seen farmers. Uh, we've passed through, and I've seen farmers. They're digging on their fields with their bare hands because they don't have machinery. They're spending all the money on military and on the Kim dynasty and nothing on manure, nothing on fertilizers, nothing on, on farming equipment. And if we, if we go back to 1953, when, when Korea was one country and you compared North Korea now to South Korea, uh, the difference is huge. I mean, South Korea, we have LG, we have Samsung, Hyundai, we have K-pop, we have all these in, in, influences, you know, coming to the rest of the, of the world. North Korea, there's nothing of that. There's only um, a sad uh, political dynasty uh, really suppressing, doing everything they can to suppress their own people. And they let you into North Korea with the expectation that you're going to go back and report positive things to your own country, right? Like I know that's the case for journalists. Like they, they present this image because they want you to put a positive, brighter face on North Korea. So for you, like how do you I can't imagine, though, that any that many journalists, photographers, travelers actually do that. So for you, what was your kind of expectation? They let you into the country under what kind of pretext and under, with what expectations for you? Well, they will uh, they will do research research on you. And me being a journalist, I, I had to tell them I'm a journalist. Otherwise, they would have found out. Um, I needed a, um, a letter from my employer saying that I was there as a tourist and I would not do any journalistic work. Uh, you can, of course, do the other way around and say I'm, I'm actually a journalist and I'm here to do journalistic work, in which case it, it's, very, it's very difficult to even get a permit or a visa. Uh, if you do get one, you'll probably not only get two guides, but you, you get like three, three and four and you'll be looked, uh, looked very well after, uh, let's say. 
Um, but uh, yes, yes, you're right. You, you know, if you're invited there, they they will show you the, the even nicer things than than most tourists. And the pretense is, as you say, that you should report nicely from North Korea. Um, and as a result, very, very few journalists are even uh, let into the country, with the exception of big, big events where everything is orchestrated. Right. You know, you've, you've probably seen military parades in, in North Korea, you know, where everything has been planned, um, you know, to every inch of, of, of everything, you know, and, and then you're let in and, and sort of to, to showcase, to help showcase the country. You think we should try and do our next podcast in uh, in North Korea, Melanie? Ooh. Like try and get in on a pot on a podcast <laughs> passport. Wow, Evan, they, they'd be down for that. We'd interview a guide. We could interview one of those guides. You know, they would definitely let us do that. This sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I mean, Evan Gunner, Evan is very logical, and I feel like this might be our next plan of attack. Who knows? I I, I love the the phrase you just introduced: a podcast passport. Podcast you know? passport. That's <laughs> ah. <laughs> It could be a thing. Yeah, you guys are gonna like you journalist? No, you tourist? Nope. We just wanna we just wanna like interview someone you definitely do not want to speak freely and broadcast that <laughs> to the world. So they'll be down for that. Yeah, it's gonna go good. I like it. A good plan of attack. So I, as far as uh, I don't know if you're aware of this phrase, but country counting. And this is a thing that travelers do a lot. It's like so I've been to fifty countries or I've been to forty two countries and people put it in their Instagram bios and they brag about it. And that's something that I hate. Because especially as doing this for a, a job, people always ask you, well, how many countries you've been to? And it's impossible to talk about it <laughs> without sounding like a dick. So your whole life is based on traveling to every country in the world, you know? And that's, the, that's the, incredibly impressive. How do you explain your life to people without sounding like a dick, Gunner? A total douche, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I know, well, some people, they ask you, they don't know about it, but typically I'm introduced as, oh, this guy, he's been to every country in, in the world. And, and they always have a follow-up question as, oh, but have you been to North Korea? Or have you been to Syria? And say, like, well, um, and, you know, I, I try not to be a, a, a fucking dick, as you say. <laughs> you know, so I, I wasn't while, while very original this. with my North Korea question that I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm, I try not to sound like a douche, you know, and um, but typically the person who introduced um, introduced me to them to say, well, he I just said he's been to every country. And, and then, you know, they're going to try to double double guess that uh, when I sometimes um, when you fill out these visa applications it says you know can you can you list every country you've been to typically the last year or last six months or something um but i think india and i think it was laos they have list every country you've been to the last 10 years and then there are three lines you know that you can you can print down or write down on a pen so typically or when when, when i'm asked to do that i just write all and then they shut up, you know. <laughs> all of the above. You create your own all of the above option. Oh, yeah, all of like the that. above option. And is that, no, I mean, it's not, a, because you, I do agree with you. A lot of people say, oh, I've been to you know, 90 countries or 150 or whatever. And um, that wasn't the point. It, it sort of came to me. I, I traveled a lot. And the more I saw, the more I wanted to travel. Then I started with the Stan countries, the seven countries ending with Stan. Um, and I was so intrigued and I, and I traveled to the first ones out of those, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan with my brother Einstein. And we were invited into people's homes. There were no tourists there. They took us mountain hiking. They took us uh, tenting. Uh, we were, we were wel welcome as family. And I just promised myself, I 
will have to travel to the remaining five stun countries. And then I sort of ran out of those and then I said, oh, I need another goal. And then, okay, well, I'm going to visit every country in, in the world. And then I speak to people and, um, and he says, oh, well, you know, how many countries have you been to? I've been to 140 or something. And then you start to say, oh, so what did you do in, in Kiribati, for instance? And, <clears throat> and it, often it turns out they've, they've only been to the airport or as in the, the case of North Korea, they've been to DMC in, you know, in South Korea. And so they've actually walked across a line inside a small cabin, which you're allowed to do from, from either south or, or the north side. So you haven't been there, uh, but, but you claim that you have been there. And I, I don't really understand why people want to do that. You know, it's putting yeah, them exactly, in a really strange exactly. position. I have this question all the time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because then they say, oh, tell me what did you do in North Korea or in Romania or whichever country you've only been to the airport. And then you, then you sort of have to, uh, well, actually, uh, I've only been to the airport. And, but, but you said you've been there. And, and I mean, what's the point? What's the point of ticking off a country if you have met zero people, you've tried none of the food, you have no ex experiences with any of the culture, you haven't seen any of the views, you've, you've, you might have had a McDonald's meal in the airport uh, and you haven't even left the international area. And oh, well, I've been to that country. My, I have this argument with my dad all the time because he says that if you travel through a country very briefly, if you've been to the airport, you've been to the country, you've been to the state. He's like, oh yeah, I've been to. Salt He's like, I've been to Salt Lake City because he. I mean, I've been to Utah because he went to the airport, spent like three hours there. Or it's like, and I don't understand why people do that because it's first of all, technically, yes, you have set foot in the geographical area that is that state, that country. So yeah, you ha technically, you have been there. But what beyond what? What is the line where you can say that you've been to a place and versus just pass through? So if you take a train through from austria to uh switzerland and you go through germany i don't know if you know if geographically that makes sense so you, you go through germany for like five hours on this train and you see the views you know and it's you know you, you're like oh wow like i can see the countryside and these cute german villages you don't ever leave the train but you're on the train have you been to germany well, I, yeah, I totally, I, I also get this all the time. And I would say, no, you haven't been to Germany. You haven't even spoken to a German person or, or set foot in Germany. And, I, and, I, and then even some people, you know, they've been on a plane, the plane lands to refuel in, let's say in Kazakhstan, and they never even leave the plane. So they're like 10 meters above the ground, and then they leave again. And they still count the country. But I mean, you haven't even, you haven't had a breath of uh, Kazakhstan air. Uh, it's, it's, it's so strange. Uh, to me, I, um, I don't count any of these things. Um, uh, to me, I, I, need to, uh, I need to have a story to tell. Well, first of all, I, I need to have actually been there. Um, and then second of all, I need to have a story to tell from the country. I should have had uh, local food. I, I should have met somebody. Ideally, uh, stayed, um, uh, stayed for a number of days. And actually, you know, they're out of the 198 countries in the world. Um, obviously, there are hotels in, in every one of them, except one, and that's the Vatican. Um, so, um, and, but even there, I, I stayed. Um, of course, I had to sleep on the street in order to be able to, to, to stay overnight in the Vatican. Yeah, if you're a very good friend of the Pope, then you are allowed to access the, the one guest house in the Vatican. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite oh, there. Melanie's a good friend. There you go. You're all set. <laughs>
Well, I'll be eight. Certainly yeah. not, but I would love to have the Pope on like my speed dial if that was still. Happening. So, Gunner, yeah, can you introduce us, please? I that would be that, that would be lovely. I, yeah. We will one hundred percent make that happen. One of the things I think really stuck out to me is the idea that. I think it kind of, for me, it comes back to that idea of like, why are you traveling? Are you traveling to literally just say, oh, I, right, I was technically in the area. Or are you traveling to say, oh my gosh, I hiked this mountain in the middle of a snowstorm and got stuck, but we were underneath the northern lights in Iceland. Like, which one is more exciting? Like, anyone can just literally, you know, you can take a train across America but not actually stop anywhere. But you technically were in, you know, how many states at that time? Um, I think it does go back to that idea of why you travel. And I love that you have these records, but that you also come back at the end of the t- at the end and also, you know, really experience the city and do whatever it takes to have those fun experiences that you could never experience on, you know, a quick plane refuel moment. No, <laughs> no, exactly. And, and, and just to be fair, I've, I've never counted any of those world trip countries uh, towards this, having visited um, any country twice. I mean, you know, typically, I think the shortest we were in a country doing this world record thing was, was two minutes in, in Kosovo. We just, you know, ran across the border and returned and uh, really pissed off the, 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 you know, the border guards. So what the hell are you doing? So now we're trying to break a world record. <laughs> but why? And well, we didn't answer and we just ran off. But um, uh, oh, come on. I, I guess we spoke to the border guards, but uh, no, I wouldn't count that as a as as a proper visit. Oh, so speaking of the uh, the records, the f- first person to visit five continents in a single day, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, I don't know where that. Well, I know where that came from. I was in Istanbul, um, the, the biggest city in Turkey, which uh, well, it covers both. It's on the Bosporus, so it's uh, part of Europe and part of Asia. And I crossed the bus, one of the bridges, um, the big bridge there. And, um, and I was like, wow, I've been to two continents in, in, in three minutes. And I wonder how many continents I can visit in, in one day. And then I started researching this and, and I, figured, uh, I figured a route, uh, an, an itinerary. And of course, it's sort of like in, in, in physics class when you're a kid. Uh, theory is one thing, but you have to prove it. <laughs> and and then I asked Adrian, as I, I said earlier, and we started in the Asian part of Istanbul, but we wanted to do five countries on five continents in, in one day. So we didn't want to sort of cheat by going to the European part of, of, of Istanbul as well. So we, so we only visited the, the, the Asian part of, of Istanbul, then which is, uh, um, of course, number one, Asia. Then we flew to uh, Casablanca in Morocco, in Africa. Uh, we flew on from there to Paris in Europe and then to the Domin- uh, Dominican Republic in North America. And then we finished off in, in Venezuela in South America. Um, and um, we sp- it took us, I think, I can't remember, 26 hours and 20 minutes or so. So it's more than 24 hours. But because of the time zones and us flying westwards, we managed to do it all in the same day. And um, the Guinness World Records, they, they contacted us and say, oh, this is very cool. Would you like to be in, in the, the world, the Guinness Book of Records? I said, mm, OK, if you twist our arms, you know, it's OK. Yeah, why not? That's so funny because <laughs> people spend their lives trying to get into the Guinness Book of world, world Records and like multiple times attempting a record and failing. And you just did this thing. We're contacted by Guinness and we're like, hey, you want to be in the Guinness book? And then you're like, yeah, sure. That's all you have to do is answer the phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. why not? 
Yes. What do your parents tell uh, like their friends and people they meet that you do? <laughs> How do they describe? Uh, that? I don't know. They, well, you have this um, you have this joke because I they still live on the west coast and I live in Oslo, the capital of, of Norway, and um, it's also so so where where's your son? Where does he live? And it's sort of there's a running joke. Well, he actually doesn't live anywhere. He he lives in a suitcase or something. We we don't even know. So. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I don't, I feel like that's such a generational divide thing where it's like, if you're, if, if you're like parents grew up in like the fifties and sixties or earlier, and they are asked by anybody like, oh, so what's your kid do? And they answered, well, he lives out of a suitcase. He travels a lot. He doesn't really like have a home base. <laughs> the assumption is like, okay, so your kid is like kind of a loser. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for our generation, it's like. It's like, oh, you live have a suitcase, like you travel the world all the time. You don't have a home. That's great. Like yeah, that, yeah. that guy's awesome. I want to be like him. So, but 30 years ago, it was like, that guy's a bum. Yeah. I think that's what my parents actually say. So no, no, he's, he's just a loser, you know? Yeah. You know, he's also just about the other six kids, you know, they're, they're amazing, but yeah, yeah forget about Gunnar. No, he's awful. Mm. So before we get into our next segment, which is our listener question, I want to ask anyone who's thinking about going someplace twice. Uh, been been to a country already, really liked it, wants to go back, wants to have a different or unique experience. What advice do you have for them? Well, first of all, uh, travel elsewhere, um, or at least, you know, if, if you, and I totally understand going back to, to a place you've been before. I, I love doing that. You see the changes. You might have met somebody there, uh, somebody there you, you, you want to say hello to again. Uh, but try to also uh, visit another part uh, of the country. And as we were talking about before, if you visited a city the first time, try to go to a rural area. If you went to, into the mountains the first time, go to the coast. If, if, you know, if, if there is a coast in this country or go to a lake or different kind of, uh, different kind of, um, of, of the country. Also, uh, I would uh, or I try to do what I try to do is to, to visit a different uh, time of the year. Uh, to experience, you know, maybe different colors, different temperatures, uh, different festivals or religious celebrations and, and, and so on. And I think when I travel, I never use uh, Lonely Planet or any guidebooks or anything. I mean, if, if I pick up a guidebook, if I find a guidebook in a train or a bus or something, I will read through wherever I'm going to in order to find out where not to travel. And the reason for that is that uh, I, I like to meet the experts and the experts are always, always, always the local. Well, the, 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 sorry, the locals. There's one, sorry, there's one exception. And that's when it comes to accommodation because you never tend to stay in a hotel in your home village or hometown. So if you want to know about a certain hotel, then you should ask somebody else, not the locals. But for everything else, they are the experts. Well, speaking of the experts, you recently let uh, you up, nor not, not you up up in norway <laughs> let's try that again evan there you it's up norway they're a travel uh, uh tailored travel service <laughs> not they're not you up norway they're not sending people you up text at three in the morning in norway <laughs> they, <laughs> oh, man. They, they uh you let them plan one of your trips through norway right and that's a new experience for you because you're used to planning your own travel Yes, and in the beginning they got in touch um, and um, they asked if if I was willing to try a new way of travel, a new travel trend, uh, which is having them uh, curate or set up um, a trip around Norway. And then um, I was sent on a trip with my girlfriend and we got a really nice car, a Jaguar uh, electric vehicle. It was so much fun. But then we drove from one place to another 
and really, really nice um, accommodation, um, hotels uh, with, you know, let's say semi-luxury or I wouldn't call it, it's luxury, but it's Norwegian luxury. So it's not gold and, and, and like pearls and all that stuff. Really good service. Tacky American luxury. It's not that. Got it. Well, you said it. I didn't say that. You know. <laughs> I love tacky American luxuries. So. <laughs> exactly. But but you probably don't all, only want tacky American no, luxury, as you put it. Absolutely not. And um, so so we were taken there, and you know they sh showed us around. We stayed two nights in in every place. They showed us around. They they took us on activities. Um, they provided f like uh, a full board, uh, a full menu, uh, breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner, and, and it, it was incredible. Uh, so they gave us the best experience that they would normally um, uh, uh, present to to any uh, guests that would go that down that route. And obviously, they are, as we spoke about just now, they are the experts. They are the locals. So they know everybody. They know the crab fishermen uh, who knows all the best crab fishing places. They know where uh, the best hikes are. They know about those hidden, um, hidden caves, those uh, incredible beaches that you can only get to uh, either by you know, swimming or <laughs> rather probably preferably by boat. So people had to understand, oh, it's not a guide. It's about um, using local knowledge and your hosts um, are then giving you something extra. All right, so up in Norway, text them, you up, any time of night, they'll respond, they'll be up, they'll plan your trip. Um, all right, well, we're gonna get into our listener question, which comes today from Kelly, and she asks, are credit card points worth it? As someone who's been to every country in the world, I feel like you're well positioned to answer this question. Yeah, well, of course, I have a fair amount of uh, what do you call air miles or whatever. This this is much more an American thing uh, than uh, a European thing. Mm -hmm. We we do get some air miles when we spend our credit or spend money on our credit cards for for anything, but compared to what you manage in in the U.S., it's almost nothing. Um, so I think ninety eight percent of my air miles come from actually flying because then you can actually get some air miles if you spend your credit card on whatever, you will get almost nothing. So it, it's, it's, it's almost not worth it to, to use your credit card for, um, you know, for, for, for gaining air miles, uh, spending it on, on, on other stuff in Europe. Mm -hmm. And it's totally different in, in the in the U.S. So you're but you're not a big you're not a big travel hacking guy. You're like so my my, my usual co-host Tim is obsessed with travel hacks, credit card points, all that stuff, the rewards points. It's like how yeah. it's how he travels. It's how he gets cheap fares. And I just don't have the patience to deal with any of it. Like I could probably save myself thousands of dollars a year yeah. if I just put my head down and figured it out for 15 minutes. But I'm not a numbers guy, and it's too much for me. You lucky bastards! You can actually do this. We we're, we can't. You know, we can we we don't get any MRs. It almost no. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna interpret your answer as like, yeah, don't bother. Like I've been to every country in the world and I don't do it. But there you're saying because I'm American, I have a uh, an, an obligation to take advantage of what's right in front of me. That's what you're oh, saying. Oh, indeed, yeah. So yeah, for sure. I okay. mean, do it. Damn it. But just remember, <laughs> uh, just remember to pay down on your credit cards because. Because those uh, interest rates are, are awful if you right. don't pay down every month. So, um, of course. So don't get into credit card debt. That's very true. Don't, th don't thoughts do on that. credit card debt, mm. Melanie? <laughs> oh, gosh. So I feel like, you know, I kind of feel similarly to Gunnar. I'm like, if you know, if you're already doing it, then like if if I what I do is purely purely for building your 
your credit personally. I'm like, well, I put everything on my card and then I immediately pay it off. So I never am in debt, but I'm, I'm like, okay, well things, if I'm buying groceries, I might as well put it on my card. So that way I also get airline points and miles if I'm already going to be doing it. Going out of your way to purchase things just so you can get the air miles, I feel like is not the right way to go. But if you're already making those purchases, I figure why not? And I think for me, that, that goes to this idea of, I'm part of this really amazing Facebook group called Girls Love Travel, and it's all about women supporting one another and lifting one another up most of the time when it comes to travel. And one thing is- Okay, I'm gonna cut you off. I hate to interrupt, but I, you said most of the time. I need to know what's, hap what's happening the other 10% of the time. Oh gosh, well, I'm gonna <laughs> expose this. So this group is probably 10,000 women, and a lot of times we're all supportive, and sometimes, it's just, you know, people tone policing and getting upset and saying like, why would you use your credit card points when you like, if you can't afford to be going to something, you should just not go. Things like that. But I They're say, a lot meaner than that, Melanie. Come oh, on. they absolutely it, it gets, are. They absolutely it gets a lot. Are. <laughs> They're vicious. You're, you're up at like four in the morning in your pajamas, <laughs> like uh, in a dark room on this Facebook group, just sending troll, responding to troll comments. This is, this is what you do with your Saturday nights. I'm so going to start a, a female Facebook profile in order to get into this group and figure out what you're really saying, you know? <laughs> yes, this is exactly what's going to happen. I think one of the things that really stands out to me is this idea of whatever you need to do to travel, like find ways to do more of that. If it, if all you can afford is to hop on a, is to hop on a bolt bus and go one state over, then do it. No, I totally agree. You know, any opportunity to travel, you should you should take it. And, uh, you know, when I say travel, as, as you say, it can be your home state, it can be your home village. I mean, I'm sure you, you haven't been to everywhere in your home village or hometown or home state or whatever. It can be the state, next state, it can be the, the closest country. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, travel because it will widen your horizon so much and it will, it will teach you a lot about, of course, the rest of the world and different cultures and foods and all the rest of it, but also about yourself. I mean, and you know what? If you can't afford to travel, get into a little credit card debt, little uh, premeditated, oh, no. calculated credit card debt. Never hurt anyone. Let's help out our local debt collectors. You yeah, know? but I mean, if you do that, but if you do that, you should do it properly. You should get into very, 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 very high debt, and then you go to Turkmenistan and you never come back. That's <laughs> exactly. This yeah. is what we did. Okay. Yeah. And this is our highlight snippet. If anyone, if you listen to yeah. one thing from this episode, one little takeaway. That's it. Credit card debt, Turkmenistan. Peace out. That's it. North Korea. Throw that in there somewhere. Oh, We're man. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Or you, or you, you know, there are some countries where you can actually, you, you buy a new uh, passport, you know, and I wish you uh, <laughs> there we go. Gunner, Evan, and then you go back, yeah, this was then not... you go back and you get a new credit card, you know, and, and then you can keep going this forever. Yes. You know? So these are the inside tips we need. We're going to drop all this, all this, all the, all the, uh, the black market dark web links in our show notes you can check that swipe out swipe up to shop our dark web links everybody <laughs> shop our dark web oh no this is bad yes. this has gone in a bad direction yes and on that note gunner <laughs> this has been great thanks so much for coming on where can people check you out follow your adventures well probably the best place is on instagram it's my last name garforce um like in garfield and use air force garforce so um <laughs> not how you spell it g-a-r-f-o-r-s but um there you find loads of photos and you can you can find uh, find me elsewhere from there we will see you soon and maybe we'll meet you in north korea or somewhere yeah. or turkmenistan turkmenistan here we're doing oh absolutely let me know and keep on traveling <laughs> Thank you.
All right, thanks again to Gunner for coming on. That was a great interview. And we are about to launch right into our News of the Day segment where we talk about travel news that's the most interesting this week to talk about. And the first one we have is a new study that says that apparently Airbnb is not as cost-effective as hotels. Hotels are more affordable, it seems, than Airbnb. According to this study, what do we think, Melanie? Oh, absolutely. I used to be such a huge fan of Airbnbs and the cleaning fees were like $200 a night. It was double the price of the Airbnb per night. That is so unacceptable. And then they also, in their rules, it was like, please make sure you strip the bed, wash all the dishes, clean the towels, put the clothes into the washer dryer. I was like, this is absurd. Absolutely not. I would rather go to a hotel where I don't have to do any of that stuff and pay significantly less. Absolutely not. Okay. Here's my thoughts on Airbnb and hotels. I think if you are traveling cross country and just looking for a quick um, utility kind of stay, you need to spend the night somewhere, don't waste your money on Airbnb. Stay in a hotel. It's quick. It's easy. It's small. You don't need any space, whatever. If you need an airport hotel, you're going on an early flight the next day and you got to have a convenient accommodation to just sleep for a few hours and then leave airport hotel great otherwise if you're on vacation you with a bunch of people you want to have an actual local experience you want to have space you want just a non-generic accommodation i love airbnb i think that it's in general probably like 20 to 30 percent more expensive than a hotel would be for maybe the same amount of people that it can accommodate but the amount of space you get, the kind of experience it is, you really can feel like you've been in a place. We're talking about this with Gunnar. How, how do you really feel like you visited a place? Well, I don't feel like I've visited a place if I stay in a Holiday Inn. I feel like I've visited if I've stayed in an, a, like a little charming apartment that belongs to someone who actually is a local there. That's fair. So I have stayed in Airbnbs all over the world versus hotels and I've had amazing experiences where I really got to know the host and they showed me around and I got to do things that only the locals would do. That's true. However, in the past year and a half, the fees have become so exorbitant and I feel like the experiences have become watered down in comparison. And why would I pay triple the amount to stay in a place where I have to do everything and really I'm not having any interaction with the host, which would be what would actually make that experience of an Airbnb over a hotel that much more magical. If you're not getting that and you're just literally, you know, you're going to a lockbox and getting a key out and then you just stay in this place, like really that's not that different than a hotel and you could be paying less. I don't want to talk to the host. I never want to interact with the host. <laughs> Leave the key in the lockbox. Tell me where to go. Tell me what to do. That's it. I don't want. I don't want to feel like I'm staying in someone else's house. I want to feel like it's my house for the weekend. That's what I want. I don't want you to be like, this is where this guy. I don't want to put a face to the apartment. I don't want to be like, well, this is where this guy sleeps, or this is where this guy uses the bathroom. I don't want to know that. I don't care. You know what? I feel like the more I talk to you about this, the more I need to just leave this room and go get a snack. And so. I want to bring up an article. The holidays are here and we need all the sweets. And specifically, we need to talk about candy corn, chocolate, and more candy corn. This article showed that research has shown that chocolate is the most loved candy in the US with candy corn being the most Googled. So this, yeah, so basically what the article talks about how the most Googled candy is candy corn, but the preference among Americans, the majority of Americans prefer chocolates followed by 
gummy candies followed then by candy corn. So it's not the top candy in the U.S., but it's the most Googled. It's the most intriguing. It's the one that people want to learn more about, perhaps a guilty pleasure. Candy corn, I never realized, was so hated and such a point of... Uh, it's divisive. Yeah, division. It's one of those things that gets people riled up. It's like, you like candy corn? They're disgusting. What? It's like a referendum on you as a person that you like candy corn. What I grew up <laughs> thinking candy corn was great and that everyone liked candy corn. What is it about candy corn that people hate so much? Is it the consistency? Is it the... What is it? You know, I, I think I'm not, I might not be the best person to talk to you about this because as a kid, I was obsessed with candy corn. I remember there was this one Halloween where my mom bought a giant like the size of my body bag of candy corn. And me being me, I went and took that bag of candy corn and ate like half of it. It was a huge ass bag of candy corn and I ate half of it and then I threw up all of that candy corn, just orange and yellow and disgustingness. So up until like literally a week ago, I, had, I hadn't had candy corn in like 15 years and I tried it again and it was plasticky and super sweet for no reason. And honestly, it was delicious. I kind of love okay. it again. There we go. It's just like when you get really sick in college from drinking Fireball. And then you don't drink Fireball for like seven years. And then at a certain point, there's one weekend where you're like, you know what? I'm feeling Fireball. And then you're back on the uh, yeah. the Fireball train. And this is you with candy corn. So is I that think how you feel? You're feeling Fireball, Evan? I feel like I'm fired up about this. I'll say that. <laughs> I feel like... I'm a big candy corn guy. I was at okay. I was at a Halloween party last weekend, and they had the uh, the host had this big tray of there's a pumpkin with like a like like beer inside the hollowed out pumpkin, Ooh, and then at, all contrast. surrounding it was candy corn. And people immediately started talking shit about candy corn. They were like, "Oh, candy corn!" <laughs> like, "Oh my god!" Like, I remember when I used to eat candy corn. I was back in the day when I didn't know any better. It's like okay. By the end of the night, all the candy corn was gone, and it wasn't just me. I swear. So people love to talk shit about candy corn. Love to hate on it. People love secretly they love candy corn. It is genetically engineered to be good. It's it's I think about what it is. It's literally sugar and high fructose corn syrup. I love both. It's like pizza. It's engineered to be delicious and I just don't get the hate. Don't get it. Never will. So I have a theory. I think that candy corn is the candy world's version of like pineapple and ham on a pizza. Yes. Like people okay. say they hate it, but honestly, I love pineapple and ham on a pizza. Does that make me a trash human? Yes. They but... hate it because they're afraid of it. <laughs> people hate what they don't understand. They hate what they're afraid of. They think they don't understand candy you were, corn. Hey, you you flew too close to the sun once upon I a did. time. You ate too much Ooh. candy corn. <laughs> got really sick. You were afraid of it. And you were kinda of, for those years, you of those dark years of your life when you were off the candy corn, you were like, I I don't like this. I hate it. I hate I can't touch candy corn, can't look at it, can't think about it. And you were basically projecting your own feelings of insecurity and your own wow. traumatic memories onto this innocent candy. And now, now you're back. Now you're back on the candy corn. Doesn't it feel good? And you know, I feel like I am the best version of myself now that I am back on the candy corn train. Like, who was I before? Those 15 plus years that I did not have candy corn, those were a blur. Like, it has all gone by too fast. And now I am brought back to life. Thank you, candy corn. Thank you so much. And if it's not clear, we're actively looking for sponsors. So Candy Corn, <laughs> if you want to sponsor No Blackout Dates, hit us up, noblackoutdatespod at gmail.com. We are more than happy to have a conversation. Jelly bellies do not apply. 
And I think that is the perfect way to close this episode out. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Evan Flo underscore on Instagram, and she is Melanie Sutra. We'll see you guys next week.